for another exciting episode of No Driving Gloves, where Derek, John, and Will will use over 75 years combined industry knowledge to bring you a bare-knuckled view on the collector car hobby. So let's get rolling. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of No Driving Gloves. Today you just have John. This is part of, or this is the beginning of the interview shows that we've been speaking of. Today we're going to be joined by Jordan Towns. She's kind of a do-everything girl, in my opinion. I really respect her. I've known her for almost a decade. She autocrosses, and I, I, I don't know. I'm going to go ahead and probably let her tell you everything she does because the list could go on almost for hours just with how, how she occupies her life. And this is somebody who's just beginning her life. Seems I'm, I'll, I'm jealous. I'm 45, and I think she has it together more than I do. But Jordan, would you like to introduce yourself and maybe give a brief resume? Yeah, sure. Um, so I have been autocrossing, which is how I know John, but I've been autocrossing, I believe, since 2006. So about 11 years. Yeah, I got my 10-year SCCA pin the other day, but autocross with the Sports Car Club of America. Started doing national events, uh, I believe, in 2010. And most recently attended the Nationals Pro Solo Finale and National Championships in Lincoln, Nebraska. Other things I do, uh, my actual career, I'm a veterinarian. I graduated from vet school in 2012, and I worked in general practice and emergency practice for about five years. And I just recently started a residency to uh, become a veterinary clinical pathologist, which essentially means uh, I try to do the advanced diagnostic tests, all the tests that you think of that, you know, get sent out to an outside lab. That's uh, we're the ones that staff that outside lab. So also working on a PhD. So I'll be doing some research in the next five to six years and trying to get that underway. And that's kind of my career path right now. Other things, I am a NRA certified pistol instructor, and I enjoy specifically teaching women how to shoot pistols, just because I feel like women, you know, like the less intimidating atmosphere of having a, a female teacher, or at least some women do. So I like being able to facilitate that. I do sing in a choir as often as I can. When I was living in Birmingham, I was singing in a choir pretty routinely, um, a church choir. But now that I've moved, it's uh, it's a little harder to get back there, but I try to as often as I can. I like to dabble in the arts a little bit. I actually went to the Alabama School of Fine Arts in visual arts. So, you know, that was a career path opportunity for me at some point, but then I decided it wasn't exactly the right thing, but I do still enjoy uh, arts. And I'm also a fitness instructor. I like to teach spin classes specifically. So I think that's that's enough of the the hobbies for now. But yeah, I do. I like to try to keep myself occupied. <laughs> like I say, I, I don't know how you do it. You know, I, I tinker <laughs> with cars at work and play parts manager at work and I do a podcast and I think I'm I'm too busy. And 
you've just listed about six full-time jobs and <laughs> being a PhD student, I know adds probably three more even to that list. And I'd forgotten some of the things that you do, especially the art. I know some of your, I've seen some of your drawings on social media and that. And I mean, everything, everything you seem to do is good. And one of the reasons we'll, we'll try to rotate back around to that, but the the one of the big reasons that I wanted to have you on at this time of the year is your autocrossing career. I guess you started in 2006. I kind of supported somebody in 2008, 2009 while they autocrossed. And then I decided, well, am I, am, do I want to get into it in Birmingham? And I had you know, my Caterham 7 at the time, which was a cool car and Probably and even and even had a CRX I think at the time so I had two pretty good autocross cars and did I want to do it I needed somebody to push me over the edge so I think I posted on probably the SCCA forum did anybody want to drive my Caterham and help instruct me for a day and some cra- crazy girl stepped up and I go well I'll go ahead and do it with a girl I'll 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 feel less intimidated and won't be overshown well that was wrong so. <laughs> Kind of, we spent the day together and talked, and I think had a good time. I knew I was, or you were beyond my abilities when you complained about the rear fenders of the car being just a touch wider than the nose or a touch narrower and caused you to clip some cones. And <laughs> so, and I think shortly thereafter, I exited the autocross scene and we've just stayed in touch like a lot of people do on social media. But I've watched your career and over the years, you've grown more and more successful and got out of that local scene, if, correct me if I'm wrong anywhere, and have participated in nationals. You know, For the longest time, you did it with a 2002 or 2003 Toyota Celica, I believe. And Yes, yeah, the uh, 2002 Celica GTS. Oh, that's a fun car. I actually still have it, so... <laughs> Yeah, it never get rid of those cars. If you can, don't ever get no. rid of those cars. Because I, I sit back and go, I wish I would have never sold this one and that one. And and you've you've kind of retired that car, I I gather. And n- n- now you're running a uh, Subaru, correct? Or, or... Yeah, we've got a 2015 Subaru WRX. Essentially, the the progression. I started with the Celica because that was my car which I wasn't the most educated at setting up cars at the time, but, you know, I did, I did the best I could and I got some shocks for it and was street class legal or at the time it was stock class in SCCA terminology, but autocrossed it, took it to a couple of national events. And then really what happened after that, I, I wanted to, I had always wanted to do more with the autocross hobby Started off locally, and some of the guys, after you know a year or so, were like, "Hey, you know, you're actually getting pretty decent. I think it's time to start looking into, you know, getting some decent tires and really working on developing your skills." So, I tried to get you know some of the more experienced guys to ride with me and kind of coach me, and that really helped a lot. Started traveling to other local events like Atlanta. Atlanta has always been a large site with a lot of national caliber drivers, so that helped as well. And then I believe it was in 2012, well, I discovered this thing called Pro Solo, which is an offshoot of autocross. 
And for anybody that's unfamiliar with Pro Solo, I don't know, does everybody know what autocross is on this forum, or should I explain what that is, too? I was going to do a recap here in a second, but you go ahead because you are the expert. Okay, so autocross is essentially, it's cones set up as a course on a large area of pavement, which is usually a, a big parking lot or an airfield or something like that, and it's individual, so you're not wheel-to-wheel, it's timed, and so everybody makes uh, a few runs at the course and, you know, tries to get the best time, and if you hit a cone, you're penalized two seconds, so it's pretty significant if you hit a cone. There are several classes loosely categorized into street or stock class, which is minimal modifications. They pretty much allow shocks and wheels and tires as long as they're 200 tread wear. You can change out the exhaust from the cat back, and I believe that's it. But then you've got street touring, which allows for more suspension modifications, a little bit of ECU tuning, things like that. Still has to be on street tires at 200 tread wear or greater. And then you get into street prepared, street modified, starts allowing for heavier modifications, engine changes, things like that. And those are typically on our compound or race tires. And then you get into prepared and modified. Modified is like people that have built the car from the ground up. So <laughs> I have tended towards street or street touring class, although I have driven some cars in prepared Um, And I've also driven a Formula SAE car, which was super fun. Essentially, that's autocross in a nutshell. At national events, there's generally two-day events, two different courses, and you get three runs at each course. So the best, they take your best time on both days and combine them. And then whoever has the, the best time of both days combined is the winner. And pro solo, it's a little bit different. You still have the courses, but you actually have mirroring courses. You have a drag start. So you launch actually against another person, but you're never actually wheel to wheel. You're racing them on a mirroring course. Pretty awesome. (laughs) So your reaction time is factored into the overall time. And so it's about getting a good start, getting a good launch, and driving the course well. You get six runs at each side, so a total of 12 runs over two days. The best time of both sides is added together, and that determines the winner. Based upon those results, there is then a tournament that occurs on the second day, and it's single elimination. Two competitors go up at a time. You each run one course, you swap sides, you run the other course, and then whoever, it's essentially bracket racing. Whoever's closest to the time that they set during class competition is the winner. That actually is probably the most exciting part of autocross. You know, even as a spectator sport, it's people get really into it. It's it's really fun. Getting back to the original story, that is actually what intrigued me to go beyond what I had been doing. I had essentially been going to mostly local events 
and the occasional national event up to that point. And then a friend had tipped me off, hey, you know, you should check out these pro solo events. At my first solo nationals in 2011, I had gotten there early enough to see the year-end pro solo event. Um, because it's usually done the weekend before national championships. And I had gotten in early just to chill out and, you know, see the sights and kind of get a feel for nationals, which are in Lincoln, Nebraska. It's a huge event. It's actually the largest motorsports event uh, participation-wise in the world. And so I wanted to go up there and see what it was all about and have a few days to hang out before I actually had to compete. And I got there early enough to see the pro solo that happens the weekend before. And it was amazing. And so that next year, I was like, I have to try to get to one of these events. Unfortunately, there's not many close to Alabama. So the closest one I found was Ohio. That's when I started looking for anybody in my local region or anybody that I knew that was actually going to this event so I could drive with them. That's when I found Dennis, who is now my boyfriend, but at the time he was just another guy who, you know, autocrossed and I had met him a few times and he said, well, I'll be going. And he has a Mazda RX-8 that was in street touring X class. And so I said, well, I'll come up there and drive it and, you know, I'll see what this pro solo thing's all about and we'll kind of go from there. That was the start of, I mean, if the, if it wasn't an addiction before, it was an addiction at that point. That was the most fun I've ever had in an autocross. And we actually went a few times before because he lived, you know, fairly close. So he's like, let's go to the drag strip and practice this whole start thing because you're going to want to know how to do this before you get there. And there are practice starts the day before the event, but I wasn't going to be able to get up there early enough to, to do that. Thanks to my work schedule. We went to a drag strip, took a few practice runs, and then that was the only seat time I had in the car at the time. And I went up to Ohio. It was actually in Toledo, Ohio in 2012 after my first set of runs, I was actually leading the class, which was like, I was ecstatic. I did not end up winning after the next, you know, you get four sets of runs and then the afternoon you get another four and then Sunday morning you get your last four. And I was ultimately overtaken by some really awesome drivers. And I ended up, I think, fourth out of like 12 I was hooked. It was over at that point. And <laughs> Pro Solo has become a really big thing. Now we essentially plan our entire national schedule around the Pro Solos just to try to get experience. And also, in order to qualify for the finale at the end of the year, you have to have a certain number of points. So, you know, we, we try and make sure, prioritize those events and get the number of points because it's too much fun and you don't want to miss out on the year-end event. So that's how that happened. Kind of a gentle progression from 2006 to all of a sudden the radical change. It's kind of, I've, I've always, and excuse the analogy, uh, but I've always, you know, compared racing to cocaine except Cocaine might <laughs> cocaine might be cheaper, 
It's one of it's one of the nice things about autocross. Like I said, let let you describe it because me, I would have kind of said it's basically we set up some traffic cones in a parking lot, and it's an obstacle course, and you try to drive through them as fast as you can. You have you know went much much more detailed. When you go from that, I'm going to touch back and kind of pull pull away from your career, but autocross, and we're talking about racing. Autocross is all about car control and handling the car. I spend my days at a big 2.38-mile racetrack, and you see all kinds of things there. To me, autocross is an excellent sport or hobby to get into where you can hang out with some really good people once a month on a Saturday or Sunday, maybe both. And for correct me if I'm wrong, Jordan, but I've always said for less than a thousand bucks a year, provided you have a reasonable car, you know, I would even say my Hyundai Velocitor would work. And that's just basically to buy you a set of tires for the year and maybe a set of brakes. You can go out there, you can hang out with some really good people, and you learn to drive better. And any time that you learn to drive better makes you safer on the road. So even if you're not a racer, Autocross is an excellent place to help your daily education as a driver, and it's also a great stepping stone if you want to get onto the what I, you know I call the big track, or you get into road racing and stuff. Everybody progresses different. Some people autocross forever. Some people always think, "Oh, I want to get on that bigger track." But to me, autocross teaches you all those fine car control moves that you need on the big track. Might save you a car because. On autocross, you really can't crash into anything. On a big track, you can hit guardrail or something and destroy your car. And it will make you a better road racer in in the long run. So it's it's just kind of a perfect, enjoyable sport. I think if you fly fish, you spend more than $1,000 a year. With guns, you're going to spend 1000 bucks a year on bullets. So no matter what your, ho- <laughs> no matter what your hobby is, you're going to spend some money. So why not have a hobby that, again, gets you out, you spend a day with people a couple of times a year, and actually makes you safer for you and your family and everybody else out there? Am I wrong Uh, with that analogy? Oh, no, absolutely. As far as just, you know, and there are plenty of people that just stick with the local level, and they come out on Sunday, and, you know, they have fun with their car, and they have fun with other people with, you know, a similar interest, and it usually is just a great group of people, like, people just looking to have fun, get some seat time in a car, and be able to drive at the limit. It definitely makes you better at car control. I can think of at least three situations right off the bat where, I've been driving on the street, and my autocross skills have saved me from an accident. You know, as far as racing goes or or getting more seat time in a car, it's the one motorsport, I would say, that you can actually drive at 100% or even 110%. You know, you go over the edge a little bit where you're not really risking bodily harm or losing your car, something, something bad happening. Cause I've, I've done both. I've driven on the track a little bit as well. I've been out to Barber and Atlanta Motorsports Park and, and it's fun. I really enjoyed it, but you really can't go a hundred percent without major risk. 
And in autocross, it's different. You know, you can actually go 100% and realize where the the limit is on your car. And you can spin and you can do all that stuff. And there's relatively low risk of, you know, something bad actually happening. You just spin your car and you're like, oh, whoops, well, that run's done. Keep going. Whereas on a on a track, if you spin your car, you know, you're risking either hitting a guardrail or another car running into you or, you know, it's it's always a hairy situation. I think that's one of the benefits of autocross is, you know, number one, the price in comparison to any other form of motorsport is is way cheaper. An event for a local event for a day will be about thirty to forty dollars, at least as far as the local regions I've been to. National events going to be a little bit more. It's going to be around a hundred, but still, that's that's really good in comparison to anything involving a track. It's just a way that you can explore the limits of your car and your driving without astronomical risk. I really love the sport, and like I said, I have explored track and things like that, but autocross is really my favorite. So. Before we leave the autocross, so 2012, you fell in love with Pro Solo. In 2013, I'm guessing you became accustomed to it. And then was it 2014 where you began to kind of prove you knew what you were doing? Or was that did that actually push into take to 15 till you got there? Yeah, that's, um, that's uh, an interesting story there. So in 2012 was my first Pro Solo. And then... 2013, I think, was my first full pro solo schedule because Dennis and I at that point had decided, okay, let's make this a thing. Let's make this a priority. We're going to run a full pro solo schedule and we're going to try to qualify for the finale and for year-end points awards and things like that. I did a few events that year. For clarification, pro solo is... There are open classes where both men and women can enter, and there are ladies' classes, which obviously are ladies only. What happens with Pro Solo? Because it's a smaller group of people, we usually have about 250 people at each event, and then the Pro Finale is only 250 or 300, whereas the National Championships is, I think the cap for that is at 1,300 people. So, Pro Solo is definitely a smaller group of people, so they have fewer classes. Got your street and your street touring and your prepared and your modified classes. The ladies, because there's not enough ladies to populate a ladies class for each individual open class, they've grouped them all together. And so there are three ladies classes and their their street ladies two is the street class. Ladies three is the street touring class where, you know, more suspension modifications and some very minor engine modifications are allowed. And then ladies one is any car that's on race tires. So they've essentially grouped us all together. So what it ends up being is all of the best female drivers in the country all grouped into one class. And so we've, we've joked a lot, but it's actually pretty common knowledge now that a lot of the ladies classes are actually or at least as far as pro solo goes are actually more competitive than the open classes i like jumped into a shark tank of ladies three the first year i was running because i was in a street touring rx8 
Anyway, there were some really fantastic drivers in that class. I was doing fairly well at the smaller events. You know, I would usually manage a trophy, maybe third, maybe fourth place trophy out of like 10 to 15 drivers. And so I was feeling pretty good going into the pro finale that year. It's one of those humbling stories where you just have to have the right combination of driving skill and perseverance and car setup and weather and tires. And so what happened was I was sitting in either second or third going into our final set of runs. The final set of runs are always Sunday morning and the ladies usually run first for whatever reason. But we run first. And so in Lincoln, Nebraska at about 8 a.m., it's usually pretty chilly and it's usually kind of dry weather. So it was this particular morning, it was pretty chilly. It was probably like 55, 60 degrees, something like that. I call that chilly. We're in Alabama. There was a certain tire that year that did much better in cold weather than the ones that we were on. A whole bunch of ladies were running those tires. And this is another thing about autocross is we've got tire wars every year. So, you know, all the tire companies compete and try to make the best tires. This particular year, there was one that did pretty well in cold weather. And it was not the one that I was on. I was I was driving, feeling really great about where I was. From the time I came back from my second to last run to the time I was about to take my last run, I dropped from either second or third, wherever I was, to 10th place in the class. And it really freaked me out. It really got in my head and I wasn't able to improve on my last run. And so, you know, that's that's where I ended up. And I was pretty shocked and upset because that all happened in the span of about three minutes. I had decided, you know, we're we're not going to do that again. We're going to be ready for this the next time. And it has been a progression over the past four years since that happened. The next year, there were some cars that got classed uh, into uh, street touring along with the RX-8. The, uh, I don't know if y'all remember, but the twins, the... Uh, Toyota FRS and the Subaru BRZ came out and they had classed those into Street Touring X, which kind of ended up becoming the car to have in that class. We ended up, well, Dennis Dennis sold the car and uh, we ended up actually racing my Celica for half of that year, which was super fun. Dennis was able to to set that one up. I mean, you know, I had the shocks and stuff and we took it out to a few events and he's kind of my setup gurus. He he set it up where it worked pretty well out on course and we we drove it that year. That year ended up being a little bit of a mixed bag because I was at a job that took up a lot of my time. So I wasn't really able to I feel advance my skills at all as far as 2014 goes. And then 2015 is when it really got real. We got the Subaru WRX, which we've had now for three years. And we just got super serious at that point. It's an excellent car for pro solo because it's all-wheel drive. You get the launch off the line. You know, it's just super fun. And 2015, I managed to get, I mean, I, I had a decent number of points. I can't remember you know, I don't think I was 
blowing anybody away at that point, but it was, we had like a first and a couple of seconds or thirds or something like that. And we went to the pro finale and I, I did end up winning the finale that year. And I, I won the overall points championship, which was the first one. And then, you know, at that point, that's when things kind of took off. That's when we were like, all right, you know, this is a real thing now. Let's, let's continue to improve the driving skill. Let's get good at this. And the next year I, I was able to do it again. The thing that eluded me was the, uh, the tournaments, which they call the challenges. So we had talked about there's the tournaments on day two, they're called challenges. So there's the ladies challenge and there's the super challenge, which is for the open classes. Up until that point, I either rarely made the challenges or if I made them, I usually got knocked out in the first round. It's really kind of silly, but the winner of the ladies challenge, I mean, the winner of the super and the ladies challenge both get hats, you know, and it's got the you know, the logo on it. And then on the back, it says what, uh, what event it was and, you know, ladies challenge winner or super challenge winner. I, I'm just going to be super girly for a second. The ladies hats were pink and they were adorable and I really wanted one. Um, so I, uh, I set that as a goal. I was like, all right, we're going to have to win a ladies challenge at some point. Once I had won a year-end overall championship, I was like, all right, next step is the ladies challenge for sure. And that takes a lot of work. You actually have to, it's occasionally people get lucky and go out there and win their first challenge or whatever, but it's very rare. And most people spend time going out, getting knocked out in the first or the second round for years and years and years. You just have to get that experience at being able to go out and put down a consistent fast run on with, with one run because it's that's what it is. You go out, you take one run, you swap sides, you take run, one run on the other side, and that's what determines who moves on. They just require being very consistent, you know, a lot of practice, essentially, and also working the bugs out because... You have to get used to things like if you leave too early and you red light, you're out. If you hit a cone, you're probably out. So you got to be fast. You got to be clean. You got to be consistent. And it it just takes a lot of practice to get there. I think the first challenge I won was in late 2016. And to my shock, they had changed the hats for that year. And they were no longer the pink hats, and I was very upset about it, even though I had just won, so I couldn't be that upset. I told the higher-ups that I really wanted to see a return of the pink hat, and they just kind of laughed and, you know, were like, okay, whatever. I won two challenges that year, and then the the year-end event has a challenge, and they add up the points, so depending on how you place on each of the challenges, there's an overall point system and then an overall challenge points winner at the end of the year as well. So I ended up second that year by one point uh, because I got knocked out of the final challenge uh, in the, I think I came in third. I got knocked out in the, in the semifinals round. All right. Now we got our next goal, but this year they actually brought back the pink hats (laughs) 
<laughs> so obviously I had to win one and I won three, no, two challenges this year. And then we had the year end finale. That was very exciting. Uh, we had 16 ladies in the challenge. So there were four rounds and each round just got progressively more difficult. The third round, I was up against another very accomplished driver in a great car that she drives very consistently. It was just a heads up round. Nobody coned, nobody red light, you know, nobody had a red light. There was going to be no easy outs from that one. I I managed to get her by like two tenths of a second. I mean, it was super close moved on from that round and then just had to watch to see who I'd be facing in the in the finale or in the final round. It turns out it was her name's Kim. She is also incredibly accomplished driver. She's been driving for years and just, you know, she's one of the one of the girls in the big league. She wins her round and then the guy, the announcer says, well, it looks like the year-end points challenge is going to come down to this final round because whoever wins this is the one that takes it. And it was like, oh my God, because the year before I'd come in second by one point and I had, you know, decided that that wasn't going to happen again. But then to, to learn that it's going to all come down to the final round. That was super intense. So absolutely no stress in that situation. Right? None, none at all. <laughs> you know, I I think I I wear a little Apple Watch and it keeps track of my heart rate. And I want to say it stopped being able to read my heart rate because it just didn't go up that high <laughs> somewhere in there. But we went to the line, and we both launched. I had a pretty close to a perfect reaction time, which is actually pretty rare because I, I try to play it safe on the lights, but there was no safe in this final round. This is, you know, you're up against, uh, it's like the heavy metal stakes round. You're you're up against one of the titans of the sport. You can't leave anything on the line. Well, in theory, I, I it's, got... it's the two two best people of the season, right? Right. That's exactly what it is. Leaving nothing at the line, I think I had like a 539 reaction time, which a 500 is perfect. And so I'm like, all right, it's on. Let's go do this. And so I, I put down a run and I come back from the first side and Dennis is standing there and he's screaming and he's yelling and he's like, you win. And I was like, what? And he was like, she she had a red light. And I was like, oh, my God. And it was just like one of those moments where you're like, wow, is this actually happening? <laughs> so it, uh, you know, that was, that was about two weeks ago at this point, I think. And um, the official name for the points challenge winner, you win the Fletcher cup uh, because there, there was a woman with the last name of Fletcher and she was implemental in in getting the ladies classes you know to where they are now and especially the pro solo classes so they named the award after her and she was actually there to present it you know we we actually are friends on Facebook so she had been keeping up with my stuff during the year and all kinds of things so she's really nice and it was just a really great experience all around (laughs) so uh, super exciting so you you end up winning winning the Fletcher Cup, which, like you've said, is 
kind of the the ladies championship of that. So within five five years, it took you to potentially from a newcomer to being on the top of the sport and achieving one of your goals as a pro solo participant. Then was it a couple of days later? While not the ultimate goal, you you know, in in, in your nice, busy, relaxed life, you then trophied, I believe it was, in the overall competition or the Yes. Yeah. So, you know, that was um that's always the week the pro finale is always the weekend before national championships. So that was opening weekend. So the next goal, which I had set for myself, was that I wanted to trophy in an open class at national championships. So, you know, and I'd actually been running open class for the last three years. Yeah, I started in 2015. This was my third year running an open class. The The trophy had eluded me up to this point. The first year was actually by some bad luck. When we were running, before I got a chance to take my first run, and as is typical with Lincoln, there are sudden weather changes and monsoons that occur. So the first, like, 15 drivers in our class got dry runs, and then the skies opened up, and everyone else had totally wet runs. Really, there was no no particular chance at a trophy that year which I don't know if I would have gotten one anyway, because the the competition was very stiff. You know, it was just one of those bad luck things. I was, I was really upset day one when I saw the rain coming down and knew that I wasn't going to get a chance at a dry run. The next year, I just, I did not drive well on the first day of competition. And I, I hit cones on my first two runs and then ended up, not putting down a good run on my third run. So that was just, I didn't drive well and was also super upset about that because I was like, man, that was just me. You know, that wasn't, that wasn't the car. That wasn't the weather. It was just, I, I came all the way up here and, and I couldn't, couldn't get it done on day ones. This year wanted to make a run at it again. And I, I was starting to feel that I had a better chance because I, I kind of use Dennis as my benchmark. It's several years ago, I was seconds off of him, two to three seconds consistently off of him per run or per day. And then, you know, over the next couple of years, it went from seconds to tenths of a second. And then this year, I actually managed to beat him at a few events, one of them being a national event. With Dennis, Dennis is the reigning national champion, or he he was the national champion in our class in 2016. So you know, I was feeling like, well, you know, if I can on on good days be able to beat the reigning national champion, then I should have a pretty good chance at a trophy. But nationals, the courses at nationals, being Lincoln, Nebraska, they're hard. Like people spend the entire year dreaming up their courses. And so you've got little nuances that some people see and some people don't. You've got high speed sections. That's really just, do you have the intestinal fortitude to be able to put your foot to the floor and hold it there and see if it sticks? There's just all kinds of room for subtle 
subtle mistakes that can cost you astronomical amounts of time. So the the courses at nationals are are a different animal from any other courses that we see all year. But I was still feeling pretty good that I had a chance at a trophy. So um, first day, um, and we actually had the third largest class at nationals. So we had 59 or 58 or 59 competitors in our class. Um, and so, uh, they, they awarded trophies out to the 16th spot, which, you know, some people don't like, but I actually think it's a pretty good benchmark because you either get a little trophy for, you know, uh, anything beyond the podium that's still a trophy spot, or you get a, a big trophy if you get on the podium, or you get the biggest trophy if you win. I think it's a pretty good system. Some people kind of make fun of how many trophies there are, but I think it actually works pretty well because essentially the top 15% in the class end up getting a trophy. And that's a that's a pretty good takeaway, you know, so... Anyway, after day one, I had put down some pretty good runs. It was actually the closest I'd ever been to Dennis on, um, I was only a few tenths off of his time. Um, There was a little bit of course dependency in our class. So some cars, like in our class, we've got the WRX, but we've also got the um, FRS and the BRZ. And then we've got the Camaro 2.0 liter. And that ended up being the car to have on that course because it was a course that had a lot of sweepers and a lot of high speed elements that we would have actually had to shift to third to be able, but he didn't have to. His his rev limiter goes up to 67 miles an hour in second and ours only goes up to 59. So it was those you know, elements where it's not really worth it to shift because you're not there long enough, but he can, he can hold the speed without having to shift. His car ended up being the car to have for that course. The FRS and the BRZ actually did really well on that course too. And it was a challenge in a Subaru just because it, it doesn't really like to do sweepery things that much. It it likes transitions and it likes digs out of low speed into, you know, higher speed zones. Dennis was sitting in fifth or sixth after day one, and I was in literally the last trophy spot in 16th place. It was the best I'd ever done after a day one, so I was pretty happy with it. Going into day two, that course was more transitional. It had a lot of slaloms. It had a lot of tight turns that got you into low speed zone so you had to you know be able to accelerate quickly things like that it was looking like it was going to be more favorable for our car we went out on day two Dennis put down a pretty good first run Um, I think it was actually the fastest time that was had up until that point I went out and I was actually really disappointed with my first run because when I came back I was almost a second slower than him and I was like man what is happening and turns out I was I was driving too aggressively. You know, I always think, you know, oh, I'm a woman. I have to be more aggressive to be like the guys. And turns out in this situation, no, that was actually not the problem. Dennis and I do have a data system in the car. So we were able to look at it and kind of get a feel for where where I was losing time. But he went out on his second run. He wasn't any faster. Um, I went out on my second run 
thought the run felt pretty good, made a few mistakes, but I was like, oh, surely this is faster than my last one. It turns out it was only a tenth of a second faster. And I was like, man, I am not driving good today. I don't know what's going on. I was I was out of the trophies. I had almost given up at that point. I was like, man, you know, I just don't have it today. That's that's just going to be the story. Well, third runs come around, and Dennis went out and put down this flyer of a run. It was ridiculous. He dropped over a second from his second run, which he was already sitting pretty decently in the trophies with his, you know, first runs. But he went out and just put down this ridiculous time. And then he comes back, and I'm just celebrating. And then I was like, you know... Being that I'm usually either, you know, beating him by a few tenths of a second or at the very least only a few tenths of a second off of him, surely I can go out there and just put down an 80% run and get within a second of his time. (laughs) That should not be a problem. And it was actually that mentality that I needed to calm down and just go out and drive well as opposed to trying to drive super aggressive. So I went out and I took my last run and I was aggressive in the transitional stuff. And then around the tight turns and the sweepers, I just took it easy. I 80 percented it. When I came back, I dropped over a second from my, my original time. And that was enough to put me actually in the 13th place trophy spot. That is how the results would stand, and I managed to get an open class trophy this year, and it was it was excellent. <laughs> so, um, goal accomplished. I felt like I, I did learn a lot at that particular, especially on that course. Just a lot of learning to be done, and you know, luckily I got to take home a trophy out of it. And when you're talking uh, at that event, you know, picking up a second a run, a tenth of a second a run, you were looking at times in the high 50, 60 seconds. So a second is a significant amount of mu- or time when you're looking at what you said, 59 entrants and say 60 seconds to do a lap or a, a course to do the course. And, every, you know, a second, like I said, a significant amount. Am I am I not wrong that yeah, when you're, oh, de- yeah. When you're dealing with tenths and hundredths of a second, I think between the places. Oh yeah, the there were several classes that the top you know five positions were determined by a tenth of a second. So, you know, when you say because this course that um I was just talking about, it was about. 60, you know, depending on what kind of car you have, 60 to 63 second course. And at that point, like Dennis had run a 62.6. And then on his third run, he came back with a 61.5, which is astronomical. And that was good enough to put him in second. Uh, The guy that had the Camaro, he's a really good driver, but he just had too much of a lead from day one for Dennis to be able to make it up on day two. But, I mean, really, that was a flyer of a run. I looked at that, and I was actually sitting on 63.7. So I looked at a 61.5 that Dennis had just run, and I was like, man, surely I can get into the 62s. Like, without, like, this shouldn't be that much of an effort to get into the 62s. And so that was the mentality I needed, honestly. 
So um, I ended up with a 62.8. And so that was that was good enough. But yeah, it's, you know, when you're talking dropping a second, I mean, even dropping half a second is pretty huge. So, you know, dropping a second is just like almost unheard of when you get into second and third runs. Um, and and there it was. So, And, and you seem to have such a, you know, I want to say good attitude about it. Again, in, in five years, you've managed to hit the these career goals and Again, as I say, you seem to be so much more accomplished at your young age compared to good old elderly me, and that I, <laughs> I, I can't even see five years ahead to pay off a car loan, and you're, you're racing cars for three years and set, <laughs> setting these goals. And and I know discussing the interview in advance over you know text message, you you have this knack that to look at everything very positively, even the Camaro that Dennis had trouble with and you said was the car to beat, that that car is a, was a driving force for both of you. And instead of looking at it and complaining and, you know, bitching about, oh, it doesn't have to shift and we've got to shift this extra time, I'm assuming some of the FRSs and that might have even been flappy paddle gearboxes, which might aid them in a higher speed course like that. I don't know if that's true or not. You guys were able to look at it as just a goal and a thing to approve upon. And this is the equipment you have. And you're not going to you're not going to make excuses. You're going to face the music and do the best with what you have. And did Dennis finish second and you finished 13th, in, you know, in a group of 60 people, when you had thought that the day was over and he probably would, you know, I don't know where he was before he did that additional second run, but he probably, you know, bottom of the tens and, you know, maybe even the teens. Yeah. So yeah, he was, he was off the podium for sure. I can't remember exactly where, but like seventh or something like that. I guess it's that never give up. And like I said, you, you, and then, then you talked about the the next year and the next year, these small little, little goals and taking these these baby steps to get get across the room yeah absolutely and you know going back to that's something that I really think has helped us like you know number one is just all about attitude and I'm a huge advocate for women getting into the sport and you know, there's there's been a lot said about ladies' classes and, oh, you know, there's no reason women should need their own class because, you know, it doesn't require any particular amount of strength or anything like that. It is something that is about attitude. And I think that actually helps is, you know, having the ladies' classes, I think it helps improve the attitude, you know, having other women around you that are, you know, supportive and like-minded and, you know, it's just a, it's kind of a camaraderie thing. Um, But you will classically see, yeah, you will classically, I mean, you know, there are classes where, where the women are running times fairly close to the open class, but at the same time, they're not and I've I've always wanted to to figure out why that is and I honestly think it all comes down to the mentality people will rise to the occasion that they are presented with you know you are up against 
you know, say five to 10 women in a ladies class versus 60 people in an open class, necessity to get out there and get it done is not always there unless you've got, you know, like in the uh, in the pro solo ladies classes, 10 national champions all running together. So, you know, you end up having to, to rise to the occasion and you get uh, very competitive with that. And and it just all becomes about mentality. So it's all things being equal. People will rise to the occasion that they are given. And that is what we were also dealing with with the car. You know, as far as the Camaro goes, it was, the, like I said, it was the car to have on that course. That doesn't mean, you know, you give up. He can have a bad day. He can, you know, hit a cone on his fastest run. Like, all kinds of things can happen. It's not just about the car. It's about everything. It's about the whole package. I feel like I've always heard people, after they don't do as well as they wanted to, in a particular, you know, event. And sometimes it just sounds like an excuse. I don't want excuses. I I just want to get better as a driver. And the same goes for Dennis. Like we have both set this goal of just becoming the best drivers that we can be. Everything else becomes kind of irrelevant at that point. You know, yeah, you can say a lot about the Camaro being better than the WRX or or whatever you want to say, but ultimately we are fine with it being there as well as the FRSs because everybody thought when the FRS and the BRZ got put into our class, they were like, well, you know, that's a class killer. It's it's just going to be a spec FRS class, you know, the, the WRX is done for. After a few national events, we kind of proved that wrong. They actually, oddly enough, you know, there's a little bit of course dependency, but they end up being pretty competitive with each other. But at the same time, it's like, well, you know, that'll just make us better drivers. If we if we have to go out and compete with something that's maybe a little bit better than our car, then that just, like I said, people will rise to the occasion. And it's about most of the time it becomes about who was the better driver on that day as opposed to who had the better car. All things being equal, you know, we can't beat the Camaro. It's okay because we are being driven to try to, and that's what makes us better. And so now that Dennis, because for a while, Dennis's first national championship was last year in 2016. And so that was kind of a, a plaguing monkey on his back until that point. So he won that last year and that was huge. And then this year, you know, or at least the past three years, I've been trying to get this open class national trophy. And now that that that's kind of a goal we've achieved. We both have our most immediate monkeys off our back. And so it kind of opens up our opportunity to just compete and try to get better and try to improve our skills, you know, until the next challenge comes along. And I know we've talked about this, but my, my ultimate goal is to be a national champion in an open class. You know, the only way I'm going to get there is if, I'm being challenged to improve my driving skills because it is hard 
to win an open class national championship. I'm not at that point yet, but the only way I'm going to get there is if I'm challenged to, to improve my driving skill and really analyze my driving and, you know, just continue to move forward. So that's kind of a, I'm not going to set a time limit, but if we were speaking in generalizations, that would be like a 10 or 20 year goal. And so in that amount of time, you know, you just, you kind of just have to challenge yourself as much as possible and, and try to rise to the occasion and learn, adapt and adjust and figure out how to become the best driver you can. And so that's where we are, you know, no excuses, no, oh, this car is better than mine or anything like that. You know, you're, you're not going to change if you're not challenged. And that's, you know, that's kind of what's been driving me and Dennis ever since day one, you know, just having a good attitude about it. You know, ultimately it's about having fun. Like this is something we do for fun. And so many people get so serious about, I mean, that goes for any hobby, you know, like people just get really serious about it and it stops being fun to them. And, you know, Dennis and I, we like to, to try to, keep the attitude going. I think that's what's made us so resilient as far as like, you know, oh, final runs, you know, we've got to be able to put down this best one. If you make it into a thing, you know, if you make it into a stressful pressure situation, you're more likely to make mistakes. Whereas we play music and grid and we dance around and we just try to have fun with it. And I think it reminds you of the overall reason you're there you know it's to have fun and it kind of decreases all the pressure and it lets you be able to go out and you know make a run that you need in a pressure situation because you're you haven't psyched yourself out essentially you know you're still you're still having fun you still have a good attitude so pretty much the tenet of nationals I think (laughs) Going, you you had three really good points in your last statements in that you open talking about the ladies' classes and people say that the ladies' classes don't need to exist. And while I, I can sit here and say, no, they, they don't need to exist and you should go out there, everybody wants equal, equal rights and let's look at them as equals. I think that the biggest advantage of the ladies' classes is it gets the ladies out there because to me it could be intimidating having a bunch mm-hmm. of guys absolutely and, and, and not know absolutely not, not knowing their motives i mean you know you're you're a attractive person and you've got to always wonder are they there are they being nice to me because you're cute or are they being nice to me because of my talent and you mm-hmm. know it's it's kind of like being the the billionaire bachelor are women going out with me because i have a billion dollars or because i'm a nice guy and mm-hmm. the, the the ladies classes really help get people comfortable and see the success and you got you can work together and mentor people a little bit better with the honesty there and prove yourselves and I really think that's part of the challenge of women in racing I've spent time talking to you know D- Denise McCluggage at, and Lynn St. James and that over the years and while they don't really say it they do admit that there's challenges and I think you've you've even seen it with some of the more recent women drivers and in, in professional sports and indie car racing and such. Mm-hmm. So they, I think they need to be there if it's going to stay a multi-sex adventure. And there's no reason that 
you know, girls shouldn't go out there and do it. You know, I've, I've alluded to the 13 year old stepdaughter. If she wanted to go out there and start autocrossing, you'd be one of the first people I'd call because mm-hmm. she would be much more comfortable with you. Uh, it's right. the same, and like yeah. you said, with, with the guns, they, if she wanted to start le- learning to shoot, if you were a little bit closer, you know, you would be somebody I would give a call to because she's not going to take well to an overbearing, and I don't mean to be mean or insulting, but, an, you know, an overbearing Marine or a police officer or somebody teaching mm-hmm. her, she's going to feel intimidated where somebody's nice and seems to see the same things and relate to the same things. You know, It's a different thing because there's, you know, there's things that women commonly have concerns about and there's things men commonly have concerns about and trying to, you know, some women do well with male instructors, but at the same time, I feel like female instructors kind of understand the, the more common concerns that females have, whether it be, you know, shooting guns or racing cars or whatever it is, you know, things that are, especially things that require adrenaline and a little bit of aggression and things like that you know if if you have a a female that has overcome those challenges they can definitely be more facilitative or you know of of helping another woman with those challenges whereas a lot of guys you know they they have different challenges and so they're trying to explain it in a way you know, oh, well, you've got to do this and this and this, and it's not connecting. You know, it's just two different ways of thinking about a a problem. I totally support the ladies' classes. Um, And, you know, we may come to a point in the next, you know, 10, 20, 30 years where the gender gap is not as pronounced, Um, you know, especially since the, the way that children are raised is being looked at, you know, on my social media all the time, I see, even though I don't have children of my own, I see a lot of uh, articles about not gender biasing children and things like that. And you're like, wow, that's an interesting thing. And I'll read it just um, out of intellectual curiosity. But, you know, I think we are trending in a way that there's not going to be so much biasing between girls and boys, you know, and them developing into men and women, it's going to be a little more, you know, equal. Um, So, you know, in 10, 20, 30 years, we may not be in a situation where we need ladies classes anymore. But I've always thought if we got to that point, they would just end up phasing themselves out. You know, we don't have to we don't have to actively work on that. And for right now, you know, they are definitely um, important in what we have. We've got, it's the way I've met all the other ladies that I race against and we're all like-minded and we all enjoy the same thing. And it's like a little community and we, we support each other and it's really just, um, camaraderie, mentorship, you know, all those good things that come into it. And, uh, SCCA now is actually working on kind of a women's initiative to figure out, you know, how can we attract more women to the sport? Because it it is a male-dominated sport, so and a lot of women just don't know about it, honestly. A lot of women end up there because a boyfriend or significant other or their spouse told them about it and, you know, dragged them out there with them or something. I got into it, a male friend of mine had told me about it. But I went out there on my own. Uh, but that's 
that's some women, but it's not all of them. And it's hard for women to get into the sport because even if they know about it, there's still all those questions of, you know, oh, well, you know, am I going to be patronized? Am I going to be, you know, hit on? <laughs> like, you know, what's going to happen when I go out there? Am I going to get made fun of if I do something not within the realm of what people normally do? You know, all those questions. And with the ladies classes, you don't really have to worry about that so much. You know, you got other women and you can kind of confide in them and be like, hey, um, will you come ride with me? And then, you know, we just, it's kind of like, you know, we can just help each other. The women's initiative that they're getting together is actually going to be um, hopefully in the next year or two, kind of a national thing. And there may be some women's only autocross schools and things like that. So, you know, that would be pretty awesome, I think. But just, you know, uh, an interesting uh, thing to look at and watch for in the future. I'm taking that as you're saying a year or two off because you want to be an instructor and by then maybe your doctorate will be out of the way or you're, you're, <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, you, and you can yeah. be an instructor, you know, you, oh, at some point, yeah, something in your schedule has to give. I mean, we, we, we've, <laughs> we've chatted an hour and 10 minutes or so about autocrossing and that, and never even touched on some of the other kind of fascinating things you do. You know, of course this is a collector car, focused or a car focused podcast so you've you know I think you've provided a good insight into some of the excitement you've had especially in the last five years of your pro solo development and a little bit about the the autocross and the SCCA and hopefully some of our listeners if they haven't tried it will go ahead and google and find out where their local SCCA chapter is and maybe cruise on out and Hopefully something that's a little bit sporty. SUVs don't autocross well, I guess. You know, now we're in the world of Evokes and Trackhawks and Durango <laughs> SRTs. And uh don't know how those are going to pan out over the future. But it's it's I, I really enjoyed doing it. But it's just, again, I get into things and I, I'm guilty of the the problem you were stating is that I, I get a hobby, and then to get my hobby better, I start to get more and more and more serious about it, and it happens with my wood woodworking, it happens with my cigar hobby, and I'm almost getting into it with my podcasting hobby. This is supposed to be a hobby, but I keep getting too serious on it, and uh, Will and Derek kind of keep me in check that, hey, you, you've got to enjoy this, and it's supposed to be a getaway, and it gets me... Talk, talking to people. So you're even a good reminder on that. And in uh, typical, I want to say, no driving gloves fashion, we're about eight or nine minutes beyond where you brought it up. We always rotate back around to something said in the beginning. And you were talking about, you know, basically you and Dennis and focusing on improving the driver and the car control. And that all becomes very important in autocross because. As you said, when you were going over the rules, if you hit a cone, you know, knock it out of its box, knock it over, it's two seconds. So if the driver, if the person in that seat isn't good, your your run's no good. So mm -hmm. you've got to know where, how close you can clip that cone, how you can brush that cone, you know, and, and figure, figure out those lines. And it, racing, I've come to learn, is very 
very mental in, as you said, focusing and just just the knowledge of, you know, walking the track and seeing and taking notes as you do it mentally and knowing what to look for and what this little gravel patch is going to do. So mm-hmm. uh, I want to say I do do thank you for taking so much time this evening ta- chatting and talking about your your autocross. I know the Fletcher Cup was very important to you and trophying, and I learned a little bit more insight about about your career, and I picked up a few things tonight, so I hope our listeners did. And did you have anything you wanted to wrap up with or say hi to anybody or? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't think so. Um, you know, thanks for having me on. And, uh, you know, I do, I mean, I guess if we're going to do like thank you things, I, I do have to thank Dennis because he's, uh, I, he's the reason that, you know, it's become, what it is to me or at least most of the reason you know I started off and it was kind of a a fun hobby and then it was really that you know one event in you know 2012 uh when when I really got into it with the pro solo um we actually had a team quote unquote at that time uh you know it was like four of us one being his son and another uh, another lady named Laura and um you know after that it just kind of evolved I just have to give a lot of credit to him for you know being a partner and and getting to where we are and you know having as good of an attitude as he does so that we can have a great attitude together but you, you know you other two, than that you two seem to be re- really good together and if you really think back that 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 one event in 2012 has affected you in all aspects of your life, you you do say the autocross is a hobby, but you ended up with a what appears to be a very good partner out of it in life and the adventures. And he seems to be encouraging in all aspects of your hobby. I know you you know you recently sold your home to move back to Auburn to complete your doctorate, oh, yeah. and go, going back to <laughs> going back to going back to college after having you know. You seem to have a pretty successful career in taking that risk, and I know he lives a little bit of a distance from you, and he's traveling, you know, he travels to see you, and you do the same. So, you know, it's one, yeah. of, it's one of those things that, you know, you never know what happens, and you spend a weekend somewhere, and it's, you know, created a, a pretty good life, I think, for you. Yeah, yeah. We um We actually didn't even start dating until quite a bit later, you know, even just as a teammate you know he was he was very supportive and just really really helpful as far as like improving driving and being accommodating you know I I had to get picked up from the airport a few times because work schedule I had to fly in instead of drive up there and stuff like that you know just uh teammate stuff in general and then especially you know dating it, it, you know you gotta have you got to have a supportive partner and that even goes for, you know, people that have spouses that don't autocross, you know, if that's going to be a, a thing in your life, they, <laughs> they have to be supportive because it, it will, uh, it will become a time commitment. So, you know, it, most all, of the people. It's always nice when, when they ch- chat with you or you're able to communicate, whether it be autocrossing or shooting guns or woodworking or or podcasting or whatever it is it's always nice to go in and sit down with with your companion and have a conversation about that 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, and a lot of a lot of the people we autocross with, you know, a lot of their spouses come out and, you know, a lot of husband-wife teams, a lot of boyfriend-girlfriend teams, anyone that, you know, they they don't have someone that they autocross with, they're they're always very thankful. And you always see it on Facebook, thanks to my wife for letting me come do this, or even thanks to my husband for, you know, letting me go for a week and just race cars in Lincoln, Nebraska. You know, it's definitely essential, but but I love it when you see couples out there together because that's just team building 101 right there. I mean, I think anybody that autocrosses together is going to be stronger for it. So, <laughs> Well, I think we'll leave it on the, those high notes there. We're, we're an hour 20 in. It gets a little bit long and you know, we'll do a little bit of editing, but I do do thank you for the time tonight, Jordan, and uh, hopefully we can uh, convince you to email me or give me permission to steal some pictures so that we can at least show sure show, show you in action with <laughs> with yeah. at least at least the car. I know I'll dig up one of the old Caterham days or days. <laughs> and... <laughs> We've got a few of those pictures, yeah. <laughs> Again, thank you and. We'll wrap it up and we'll talk to No Driving Gloves listeners in about a week. Sounds great. Thank you.